So this morning we're going to be continuing our series on the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. We actually have one more week in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, so the Sermon on the Mount falls in Matthew 5 through 7. We're getting close to the end of it. Uh, this is one of the most, um, I think, uh, read portions of Jesus' teaching. And not just Christians look at this. Actually, non-Christians look at this section of Scripture and say, wow, there's a lot of great stuff in there. And you know, it's important when you think about it, who in life are you going to take your advice from, right? It's important to get your advice and your wisdom from the right person. If you want to build a house, you're going to talk to a home builder, right? You're not going to talk to an orthopedic surgeon if you want advice on how to build a house. Uh, If you have a problem in your shoulder or in your knee, you're going to talk to an orthopedic surgeon. You're not going to talk to a car mechanic. Because car mechanics have a whole different set of tools and a whole different set of advice. If you want to find out what's wrong with your car, then you would talk to a car mechanic. Uh, you wouldn't talk to a professional athlete uh, if you want advice on how to fix your car. Okay. If you want your kid to make millions of dollars playing pro sports, then you need to... Well, actually, there's really no one you can talk to about that. I'm sorry. Uh, it's the dream of a lot of people, but that's a gift from God. But when it comes to learning how to live life how to walk through life, how we're to treat other people. The question is, who should you be listening to? Who wants to give you instructions for how to live your life? You know, there's a lot of people out there today lining up to tell you how you should and shouldn't live. People who want to define how you should live. You've got the media, you have politicians, you have motivational speakers and authors, um, Hollywood movie producers trying to suggest to you, here's the way that you need to live your life and here's the way you need to treat people. There's no shortage of advice on how to do this. But I would propose to you, if you truly want to know how to live life, the person you ought to talk to about it is the one who created you, the one who created life to begin with. Turn to the creator, the author of life. He loves you and he wants to reveal to you how you should live. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, how to know God and then live in light of that knowledge. Remember who you're listening to. And so this morning, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for all these weeks, but this is a chance for me to say, remember who it is that's speaking to us this morning in Matthew chapter 7. It's the King, and His name is Jesus. Okay, His name is Jesus, a name like no other name, a person like no other person. He's not just a great teacher. Although he is a great teacher, he's the king. He's not just a healer, although he is a healer, but he is the king. He's not just another person. He is the king of the universe. And he loves you, and he wants to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And so this morning, as we look at his word, let's listen to him. And just as a reminder of who it is that's speaking to us, it's the king of all time, and his name is Jesus So let's look at his message today uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. And so follow along as I read. It's going to be on the screen, or you can look in your Bibles if you have one. It says this, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent instead. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. So this morning as you hear those words, remember who's speaking to you. It's not Marcus. It's not even Matthew, the author of this gospel. It's the king. His name is Jesus. And we're looking at his words this morning. And as God the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so that's my challenge to you this morning. And so the king this morning, I would say Jesus gives us three words of instruction. And you have these in your bulletin if you have that. Um, But the first word of instruction is really a warning about people. And this is what Jesus encourages us to do is to practice careful discernment. What do I mean by that? What is he talking about when I say uh, he's calling us to practice careful discernment? This is actually a pretty well-known verse of scripture. Uh, Do not cast your pearls before swine. Um, And it follows immediately after the first five verses of Matthew 7, which you remember uh, from last week start off with the phrase, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, And then it goes on to say, uh, God says, first of all, you need to examine yourself before you even think about pointing out the sins in the lives of other people. Then we come to this verse where all of a sudden it feels like God's saying, But sometimes you have to decide who the pigs are and who the dogs are, okay? So it sounds like there's some kind of evaluation going on here. It's a vivid word picture, uh, really this idea that Jesus says uh, in this verse, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So this is a vivid word picture for the minds of his people that were sitting there listening to him. If you think about this, Giving to dogs what is holy. Probably what's being referenced here is uh, at that time, God's people were making sacrifices. They would they would take lambs and uh, sheep and goats and cows and, and sacrifice them on the altar. That was a sacred portion devoted to God. And he's saying, don't take some of that holy meat and just throw it on the ground and give it to dogs. Okay, that'd be sacrilegious uh, in the minds of these people. But one that even makes sense to us today uh, is the idea of taking precious stones like pearls and just throwing them in the pig pen. Uh, I actually love uh, the way, sometimes it's fun to go back and look at the old King James and see how it words this. Uh, look at how it, it, it says this, this phrase. I think it just helps us to understand what this is like. It says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you, okay? So basically this verse is saying, don't give valuable things to pigs and dogs who are just going to destroy them. Let me show you a little picture here, okay? Here's a picture of a hog wearing a pearl necklace, a string of pearls. It's ridiculous, isn't it? You would never do that. You would never put your valuable jewelry on a pig. It'd be a pointless thing to do to give valuable things to pigs or to dogs. And it says they'll trample them if you do so. So I have a question for you this morning. Is there anyone in this room besides me who's been trampled by hogs? Anybody? 
I don't see any. Oh, I do see a hand. Okay. Kelly Black has also been trampled by. So there's two of us. Let me tell you a little bit about what it feels like to be trampled by hogs. Okay. One of my jobs growing up on our farm in Kansas was to actually feed the pigs every day. Okay. So the mother, the mother pigs, the sows uh, would all line up and be waiting for me to open the gate so they could come in and eat their feed. And so my dad said, those pigs crowd up against that gate too hard. So we're going to put an electric wire on the gate to keep them from crowding on it. And so here I am, I go to unlatch the wire, unlatch the chain, and the whole gate has become electrified. So I jump back, the sows knock the gate down and just run right over the top of me. If you can just get this picture of about a, a 13-year-old boy, trampled, dirty, smelly, I was not a happy camper. Uh, and every time I read this, this story, I remember that moment. It's not a good thing to be trampled by hogs, okay? And if you have a valuable stone, you would never put it out in front of pigs. They're going to trample it. They're going to run over it. They're going to waste it, okay? So the point of this little thing that Jesus says is don't waste what is valuable on people who won't appreciate it. So this warning about discernment, discernment, careful discernment. And so I think the question we have to ask is, What are the pearls that he's talking about? What are the holy things that Jesus is talking about? And he's saying, be careful about who you give these to. Well, in this context, in the book of Matthew, what we believe is that the pearls and the holy things are the message of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel. In other words, the good news about how Jesus can come and change your life. Where am I getting that from? Uh, Flipping your Bibles over to Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. This is one of the parables that Jesus tells, and it's actually one of the shortest parables. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. So the picture there is given that this guy discovers an amazing precious stone and it's so valuable that he says, I'm going to give up everything I have in order to get that treasure. That treasure is more important than anything else I have. And when you look at what Jesus is talking about in Matthew, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about having a relationship with him, knowing the king personally. That's how you become a citizen of the kingdom of God is to know the king to love him and to be loved by him. And so when Jesus says, don't cast those pearls, what's precious to you in front of swine, he's talking about this good news, the kingdom, the relationship that you can have with Jesus. Don't just toss that around like it's something that doesn't matter because it's the most precious thing you have. But the second question about this then is, Who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Like, what is Jesus talking about here? I thought we were supposed to share the gospel with everyone. Tell anyone and everyone about the gospel. When scripture, dogs and pigs are typically used to describe people who uh, have rejected God. Okay, Uh, Psalm 22, uh, Jesus actually quotes the psalm when he's on the cross. And it, the, the psalmist uh, is saying, uh, dogs have surrounded me. They've surrounded me and they encompass me. They're tearing me apart. It's a picture of, of people who've rejected God. And Jesus quotes that. Another one, when, when we talk about swine and pigs in Scripture, actually that's a, a phrase for unbelievers. Um, it's used several times to, to refer to people who don't believe in God, who reject God. And so Jesus is saying those people who... Um, openly reject God, you need to be careful about throwing this treasure in front of them. 
Use your time to share the treasure with those who will embrace it. And one thing I'll say about this is that those who reject the message of God, Jesus says it's unwise to just keep throwing it out there in front of them. Know this, they might be a swine today if we we're going to call them that, but they might not be tomorrow, okay? So never give up on somebody. But Jesus is saying, it's, use careful discernment with how you spend your time, how you share this gospel message. Because remember, this message of this relationship with the king is the most precious thing you have. And you have to read this in light of all of scripture. We are called to share this with anyone. But I think God says, be discerning, recognize when somebody's rejected it, and be careful how you share that with them. What does this mean? I think careful discernment looks like this. When you're talking about sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with other people, this is just, uh, I think, what, what discernment would look like. It's what you say, how you say it, and when you say it. If you look at Jesus' life, there's an example of how he does this as well. He'll, uh, he'll share the gospel. He'll share the good news. He invites people to follow him. Sometimes he does that when he's healing people. Sometimes he does that when he's teaching, like here in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes he does it when he's actually confronting religious leaders who end up rejecting him. Uh, and he doesn't waste a lot of time on that. But all in all, he invites people to know him and follow him. And so Jesus is saying, be careful, be intentional about sharing the gospel. Look for people who are wanting to hear this message. This good news about Jesus is a precious treasure. So make sure you're sharing it with those who will receive it. That's ultimately up to God. And sometimes you have to discover uh, by experience who's going to reject it. We don't know that. But God says, make sure you're sharing this precious thing with people who will accept it. Another verse that kind of helps us capture the idea of this. This is from the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4. It says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 is that he's given us this little proverb basically and saying, um, here's a truth that you need to keep in mind. Here's the wise way to share this treasure with others. And part of that is carefully discerning uh, how people are going to receive it. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. This summer we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. This whole idea of the way of wisdom. The way that God lays out. Jesus does a great job here in this part of the New Testament of, of just explaining it to us as his followers. We're going to go back and look in Proverbs about the roots of this way of wisdom. God's way to live in the world so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So that's the first thing in this passage. And that one's a little confusing, right? Jesus says, don't waste your time on this, on this uh, idea of, of casting your pearls before swine. But then he gives us a promise from God, a promise from God in the next set of verses, verses 7 through 11. And the promise from God is generous grace from the king. Generous grace. Look at these verses again. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what we have here is instruction about prayer. And it comes at such a timely place right after that little message from Jesus about don't cast your pearls before swine. You might be saying, how am I supposed to tell who's swine and who's pigs and who can receive? And the answer is you can't tell unless God helps you ask for help. Okay, so this is a message about prayer. In fact, it's a really unique place for this to fall in the in the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's a picture of the gospel. God says prayer is actually a picture of the gospel. God gives us grace when we ask him for things. It's a result of the gospel. We can pray because he is our king, our savior. We have a relationship with him. One thing I love about this little picture of prayer that Jesus gives here in Matthew 7 is, is this fact that it's not like asking for a raise, okay? How many of you have ever asked your boss for a raise? Anybody ever done that? Uh, it can be a little bit unnerving, right? Sometimes when you ask for a raise, you might be afraid to ask. You feel like you have to go in there and tell the boss, uh, here's why I deserve a raise. I'm making this company so much money or I'm, I'm really profitable to you. Um, you have to prove your worth. You're probably concerned about the timing. I don't want to bring this up when the boss is in a bad mood. Um, Jesus tells us when we ask God for things, it is not like that. It's a picture of the gospel. It's full of grace. What does he say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I don't know if you caught in there any hint of something you have to do in order to bring your request to God. There's nothing. In fact, if we think about this, what is our part in prayer? Our part is to depend, right? All three of those words, asking, seeking, knocking, means that we're trying, we, we, we acknowledge that there's something we need that we can't get on our own. Our part in prayer is dependence. God's part is as these verses show us and elsewhere in scripture, God's part is giving generously. It's a picture of the gospel. In fact, the word give is used, I think, five times in this whole little section. You know, this is actually the second time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has addressed prayer. In fact, flip back over to chapter six, just on the other page in my Bible. Uh, in chapter six, verse five, he gives instructions of what prayer should not look like. Hypocritical prayer. And then in verse 9, he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on and gives us, this is the pattern for how you're to pray. So why, in chapter 7, does Jesus need to bring this back up again? Why is he bringing prayer up now for the second time in the Sermon on the Mount? I think part of it is to remind us of our part in this process is nothing. Only God can grant requests. You can't, you don't come to God with prayer just like you would ask for a, a, a pay raise saying, hey, I deserve this, God. Look at how good I've been doing. So now do you want to grant my requests? There's none of that in this prescription for prayer. So that brings up this question, a couple questions about prayer. Is this a blank check? Is God saying, is Jesus saying, uh, you can just fill in the blank, ask for it, and you will receive it. Seek for whatever you feel like seeking, and you will find it. 
Well, the answer is no, uh, it's not a blank check. Uh, and we want to look at the context of this passage as well as the context of all of Scripture. So the context of this passage, uh, remember, we're nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're nearing the end of it. And through this, these chapter five through seven, these three chapters, so many amazing things. Jesus has said, it's not just about your actions. It's about your heart. Follow me with your heart. It's a relationship with me. And so he says, uh, you've heard it said that you should not murder. But I tell you, anyone who says you fool to your brother is guilty of murder in their heart already. And you might think, well, that's harder than, than the Ten Commandments. Now I'm like responsible for my thoughts. You read through this high standard that Jesus lays out, the way of the kingdom, how to love people from a pure heart. And you look at it and you say, that's impossible. I can't do it. And that's where Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. You can't do that on your own. You can't live out the way of the kingdom. You can't demonstrate the gospel unless God helps you. He says, ask me for help. God invites us to ask him for help. That pattern that's given, which of you, if your son asks him for a gift, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You wouldn't do that. A good parent would not do that. And God says, I want you to ask me for the good things, and I will give you the good things. How much more will I give you than what an earthly parent would give you, or even beyond what you could ask or imagine? So this is not a blank check. Uh, Flip over in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. So we look elsewhere at what God says about praying. Um, And in John 15, verse 7, this is talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to abide in him. He says, abide in me like a branch in the vine. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So you read the rest of scripture and you begin to see God says, if you're my child and your heart's been changed, you're going to want the things that I want. And by default, those are the things you're going to be asking for. If you know me, you're going to have a desire to ask for those things. Back to Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray to God and ask him for things, we are called to ask him for the good things that he wants to give us. It's not a blank check but it is a promise that he will graciously give us more than we could ever imagine and more than we could ever deserve. So then that brings up another question. Well, what about when I ask God for some of these specific things, such as possessions, right? Uh, I'm sure everyone in this room would say they've prayed for a new house, a new car, when you're a kid, a new toy. Is it wrong to ask God for possessions? I think, again, that qualifier of asking for things that are in God's will is incredibly important to remember. James 4, I'm going to flip over there. If you have, you can flip there. This is James 4, verse 2. It says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you do, you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And so Jesus basically calls out asking for things for selfish reasons is not the same as asking for the things that God wants to give you. 
So what about when I ask for possessions? Back to Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. God's going to give you what you need. We're called to ask for what we need. God knows that we need clothes and food and all those things. But as, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, he says, I'll provide those for you. Those should not be your primary goal. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pray first for the kingdom of God. Pray to the king that his will would be done in your life and in the world around you. That's the way Jesus is training us to pray. And when you pray those things, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What about praying for prosperity? Right? You hear a lot of people talking about this. In fact, there was a book, uh, it was probably in the early 2000s that came out, The Prayer of Jabez. Anybody read that book or hear of it? The Prayer of Jabez. And basically, uh, that's quoting, I think, from Second Chronicles, where it says this guy named Jabez prayed that God would prosper him uh, and give him a long life. And it says God answered his prayer. And so is it wrong to pray for those things? No, it's not wrong to pray for those things. But as we sang this morning in that song, The Blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Why does God want us to prosper and to give us blessings? Psalm 67, which Melinda read for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That's the reason God blesses us. He blesses us so we can bless other people. That's the reason he gives us Jesus, so we can share Jesus with other people. So is it wrong to pray for prosperity? No. But to pray for prosperity in the right light so that you can share with others and more effectively share with them the blessing that God has given to you. That's the whole reason to ask for blessing. What about when you ask for health and healing? Okay, I've got a lot of friends right now. I've had a lot of friends over the years who are struggling with this illness or that illness, cancer, uh, disease, broken bodies, and they ask for healing. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong to ask for that. In fact, we just talked about this a few weeks ago uh, when we talked about the, the lame man who encountered Jesus, right? He came to Jesus seeking healing, and Jesus is the great healer. But even more important than healing physical sickness, Scripture tells us, is the healing of our spiritual sickness. The fact that he can forgive sins, and you can have a relationship forever with the king of the universe. That's the most important kind of healing. God also cares about physical healing. We know God doesn't choose to heal every person who asks. And that's in his wisdom. Um, I can't answer that question. Why does God not heal everyone who asks him to heal them? I wish he would. My human desire. In fact, if you think about how Jesus himself even thought about this as a human. Remember when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, uh, Father, I wish that this cup would pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So he expressed his desire, but he said, even greater than my personal human desire is my desire that God's will be done. And so that's the prayer I would encourage you to have in the midst of sickness, that whether God brings healing or not, 
Pray that his will would be done and that he would receive glory through the way you endure the suffering. And also, ultimately, if he chooses to heal you in this life or after this life ends, that he will receive glory and praise through it. Asking for good things. Jesus tells us, I think, to ask for the right things. And that's a matter of the heart as well. Because we have so many things we want. But are those things serving God and serving others? Or are they serving ourselves? One last question about prayer. Why do I need to pray? Jesus just kind of assumes we're going to be praying, doesn't he? When you pray, pray like this. And he says here, ask and it will be given to you. Like It's just like it's, he's expecting it to happen. But we would say, well, why should I pray? If God already knows what he's going to do, what difference does it make if I pray? And I would just encourage you, when you read all of Scripture, realize that I think the way God sees this is a little different than the way we see it. God's economy is different than our economy. Prayer is part of his plan. You see that over and over again in Scripture. I can't explain to you exactly how, but it's part of his plan. Here's a diagram that somebody showed me once that I hope will be helpful to you when we think about why we should pray, especially when we serve a sovereign God. Okay, so look on the screen. You'll see there's a timeline there, point A to point Z. And so if you say point A in your life is your birth and point Z is your death, okay, we all know when point A was. None of us knows when point Z is, okay? Only God knows that date. All the points in between, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, fill in those blanks, whatever. Every one of those is an event an event in your life, okay? And there's obviously more than 26 events in your life, all right? So, But just think about every one of those events in your life as being a letter in the alphabet. And you might say point B was when I learned how to ride a bike. Point C was a high point. That's when I graduated high school. Uh, point M is when I got married. Um, and, and these things, maybe, maybe point U is when I got cancer. All these things are in our life and God knew they were going to happen. I would encourage you to view prayer as events in your life. I think God sees prayer as an event in your life. Meaning, point D might have been a prayer that your mom prayed for you and God used that in a powerful way to shape the next event in your life. Just like he used a car wreck to shape the direction of your life. Or just like he used your marriage, a wonderful marriage, to shape the trajectory of your life. Prayers are events in your life. Point Q might be a prayer that somebody prayed for you to recover from an illness, and God used that to bring about the healing from an illness. Maybe it's a prayer you prayed for yourself or somebody prayed for you. See your prayers as events in your life. I think that's how God sees them. When you read scripture, prayers play an important part of how God works in our lives. That's a helpful illustration. I think scripture supports that. And uh, just think on that a little bit. But I think that's one of the reasons we pray is that God says, I want you to pray. I'm like a loving father who loves to hear his children make requests. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, God loves to give us good things. That's what Jesus tells us. And only he is truly good. Only he truly knows what is good for us. How much more can God give you than you could ever possibly ask for or imagine? 
I think this generous grace that God says, I'm going to give you these things not because you've earned them. It's a picture of the gospel. The way we pray is a picture of the gospel. It's also the result of the gospel. God hears our requests because of the finished work of Jesus. Then last but not least, the third word of instruction from our king this morning, from Jesus, is this rule to follow. And I would call that selfless love. It's also called the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. A rule to follow is selfless love. And when I say a rule, I don't mean like a regulation that you have to follow. I'm saying this is a pattern that God sets out for you. He says this is the pattern. If you follow this pattern, if you love people the way you wish you could be treated, you'll be loving them in the way that God loves you. It's the pattern. It's the standard for your life. Really, this verse, Matthew seven twelve, sums up all of chapter 7. The portion about judgment, the portion about prayer. Everything else, it sums up this idea. Sums up kingdom life. It really sums up the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you should treat people. Love God and love people. It's really not about you. Okay, Jesus has hammered away at that point throughout this whole sermon. He says, it's not about you. And seeking what makes you feel good or what makes you happy. God says it's about experiencing God's love. Knowing the king. And then sharing the king with others. Love God and love people. This morning, I would tell you this. You can't truly love people until you know the king. Until you know the king who came and died in your place so he could show you love and forgiveness for your sins and give you eternal life. Until you know that king, until you've trusted that king and embraced him, you will not be able to overflow with love for other, for other people. Our love for other people is made possible because of our king. So that's the question this morning. Do you know the king? Have you trusted Jesus as the one who came to love you and save you? And if you haven't, then this morning, trust him. Believe that he is the one who can save you from sin. The one who can give you eternal life, who can forgive you no matter what you've done. Trust him. Embrace the king. And if you do know him, worship the king, serve the king, listen to him. I want to read in conclusion this morning just those words from Psalm 67 again as a benediction. Um, and so if you will, actually, as we, we're going to close with that in prayer, so please stand. I want to read those verses just as a reminder that God has loved us. God has blessed us so that we in turn can share his love with others. Will you bow with me in prayer? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.